0: Welcome to this Federalist Society faculty book podcast, featuring Professor Stephanos Bibas's new book, The Machinery of Criminal Justice. Thank you for tuning in. The Machinery of Criminal Justice discusses the shift in American criminal law from being a system run primarily by laymen to a system in which lawyers are the primary actors. Bibas argues that this shift has increased the speed and efficiency of our criminal justice system, but that softer values, such as reforming defendants and healing relationships, have been lost with the prioritization of efficiency. Bivas proposes a variety of ways to involve victims, defendants, and the public in the criminal justice process again, including requiring convicts to work or serve in the military and giving more power to sentencing juries over prosecutors. His remarks suggest that, although these mechanisms may be more expensive, they may better serve the interests of criminal procedure by facilitating the denouncement of crime, the vindication of victims, and the reformation of criminals. Stefanos Bibas, a professor at the University of Pennsylvania Law School, is joined by critical commenter Andrew Toslitz, a professor at Howard University School of Law, to discuss the book. As always, the Federalist Society takes no position on particular legal or public policy issues. All expressions of opinion are those of the speaker. And now, Professors Bibas and Toslitz.
1: This is Professor Stefanos Babas talking about my new book, The Machinery of Criminal Justice. In America, at the colonial era, criminal justice was basically a morality play, very commonsensical. Ordinary victims and defendants would tell their own stories and the jury would sit in judgment and the whole community would see the unfolding of the blaming and punishing and then reintegrating defendants back into the community. It was a dramatic ritual that that brought justice to everybody. But over the last two centuries, we've substituted a lawyer-run plea bargaining assembly line for that public morality play. And we lawyers tend to assume that that's a good thing. It's brought a lot of efficiency. It processes criminal cases quickly and cheaply. And so the prosecutors and defense lawyers and judges who run the system all like it that way. At the same time, the public understandably has a lot of discomfort with plea bargaining as the dominant way of resolving criminal cases in America, 95% of American cases. So what this book does is it traces the history of how we moved from the morality play to the assembly line, what we've lost in our quest for efficiency, and how we could swing the pendulum part way back. I, like some of these readers, I'm a a lawyer, I'm a former prosecutor and we prosecutors tend to assume that we know what we're doing and we can speed the process up and if everybody knows this person is going to be convicted and get several years in jail, well, let's get it over with and save our resources so we can funnel more cases through the system and prosecute more crime. And there's no question that efficiency is a value. But I think that lawyers often assume that that's the only value. And so a lot of what the book is about is looking at the other functions that criminal justice serves. It's an expressive thing about the community sitting in judgment and reaffirming its moral norms. It's an emotional process with people accusing and explaining or apologizing or reintegrating. And there's very little room for that in the modern criminal justice system. The difficulty, of course, is that the system is so overwhelmed and so busy with cases that we can't go back all the way to a system where lay people ran the show and everybody got a jury trial. We wouldn't want to go back to a system where the trials were so short they were only 15 or 20 minutes long and there was no room for defense lawyers to protect people. But if we realize that there have been things that we've lost, we can start to understand some of the public's frustration with modern American criminal justice. And so the book starts off, after looking at the history and and how things have changed, it looks at the system today, where we basically have a gulf, I call it, between insiders and outsiders. The insiders are the prosecutors, defense lawyers, and judges, who tend to be very amoral, tend to look at just the bottom line of processing cases. And the outsiders are the victims, the defendants, the members of the public, and the community who feel like they want a moral vindication, they want their day in court, they want to tell their stories. And you get this pathological political dynamic between the two of them, a tug-of-war of control over the system, where the voters and the outsiders feel like the lawyers are subverting justice and they pass a new law or clamor for a new sentence, and then the insiders subvert it through charging and plea bargaining and other hidden discretion. And as a result, you get some crazy laws that get passed, largely to claim political credit or respond to a media fury or something. And there are some real costs to this approach. It subverts democracy. It avoids letting the public see justice done, particularly since punishment is hidden behind prison walls it really prevents there from being a meaningful democratic dialogue because right now it's really a, a tug of war and a power struggle over criminal justice. And it doesn't necessarily have to be that way, and it hasn't been that way for all of our history. The book also looks at some particular examples of pathologies of plea bargaining. where you let people plead guilty even when they protest their innocence or refuse to admit guilt. They certainly can plead guilty grudgingly without acknowledging what they've done fully. And In response, there have been a whole lot of movements of people dissatisfied with the system. Victims' rights movement, restorative justice, therapeutic jurisprudence, all want to include more lay voices, not just lawyers back in the system. Each of those movements is unbalanced, but but they all highlight that people feel something is missing. At bottom, economists might call this problem one of agency costs, that the layman, the citizens, the voters, are supposed to be calling the shots in a democracy. But in reality, there's not very good oversight. So their agents, the prosecutors and the judges and the like, wind up pursuing their own understanding of justice. But it's a flattened, narrow conception of justice that doesn't leave enough room for the human element. And of course, when you start to talk about reforming a system as overwhelmed, as busy, and as broken as ours, You're going to be accused of being idealistic, we're short on cash and there are so many cases. But at the end of the book, I start to think through what are some different ways we could try to fix the system. At the macro level, I would love to see putting prisoners back to work, possibly even in the military, though that might be a stretch, but turning prisons from dens of idleness into productive ways to get people ready for coming back into society. But I recognize there's a lot of political opposition and that wouldn't be easy. And there also have to be better ways to reintegrate people into society, to lower the permanent exclusion of felons from any number of places they could live and work, and not just where there's a public safety rationale in protecting you know, primary school students from certain teachers. But those big systemic changes are hard. And so I also think through ways that at a mid-level, at the county or city level, you could have more transparency, more public involvement, in police and prosecutor offices and policies and decisions, kind of like community policing or meetings between people in the community and their police to focus on the crimes that really matter to them and make them feel listened to and heard. And at the end of the book, ultimately I come around to an idea called restorative sentencing juries, The idea being that we should let the victim and the defendant tell their stories to a group of their friends, their family, and neighborhood residents and let them sit in judgment and hold the ultimate control so that, for instance, prosecutors can't unilaterally dictate sentences through charge bargaining and plea bargaining, but they'd have to justify why they were asking for a reduced sentence and the community would judge how high a sentence was fitting. So the effort is to recreate something like the colonial morality play within our modern sentencing. That's going to be hard to do. It's going to be expensive. We probably couldn't do it for more than a fraction of the most serious violent cases. But there have to be ways to make people feel like they've had their day in court and been taken seriously if criminal justice really is
2: to be about justice and to respond to the will of the public and a democracy. This is Andy Tazlitz. I teach at American University, and I am also a former prosecutor. And I am a big fan of Stephanos' book as setting forth aspirational goals for the system and some good reasons for those aspirational goals. And if I had to summarize the reason for my admiration for the book, I would describe it the idea of rule by technocratic elites, and instead favoring a greater degree of rule by people, human beings, citizens. So there's a humanity that he wants to reintroduce into the system, and there's the voice or the vision of lay people in their role as citizens. So let me explain what I mean by this a little bit more. I purposely use the phrase technocratic elites and not experts. So in Europe, the criminal justice systems tend to follow recommendations of the criminologists, the sociologists, the social scientists who study these things. And those recommendations tend almost uniformly to be, for example, for more lenient kinds of sentences, for very different approaches to criminal justice than in United States. In the United States, we don't listen to those experts, and there are a host of political reasons for that, but we don't listen to those experts. We have a kind of uninformed populism in which politicians appeal to tough-on-crime policies that are not necessarily the best for safety or for really meeting the needs of the people. And so Stephanos looks at this and says, well, how can we reintroduce, he's not modeling any of this on European systems, I mention that, to clarify what I mean by elites. So the elites who are running things now are the lawyers. And the lawyers have made the system into the machinery of criminal justice, and it processes cases, and it processes people on an assembly line like in a factory as quickly as possible without sufficient attention to one, what the function of a criminal justice system should be, and two, to what it should be in a democracy, in a democratic republic. So for what it should be for people, just for human beings, as Stephanos talked about, he is very concerned with the idea that the criminal justice system is about the most egregious violations of moral principles in a society. And moral principles resonate emotionally. And the uh, public needs greater transparency. It needs to see what's happening in the system uh, so it can register uh, an emotional reaction. The offender needs the opportunity for more of an emotional response to learn from the experience, to be truly rehabilitated. And the victims need more of a voice if they are to have their emotional needs met. And that requires more of a conversation involving ordinary people and less control by the lawyers of what the defendant's say less control by the lawyers of what the victims have a right to say. So, for example, Stephanos goes so far as to say that victims should have the opportunity to appeal certain sentences. And the fear of the defense bar has been that giving victims a voice will simply mean even harsher punishments. But that's not necessarily true. When people are faced with a specific case, a real case, involving a real offender, their views are often much more informed and much more balanced than they often are given credit for. And in fact, as an aside, in social science studies, when you give people real cases, they often come to very different and less harsh conclusions about what the punishment should be than the law mandates. On the flip side, looking away from the humanity, the the need for emotions, is the political side, the democratic side. And so Stephanos wants to see the broader public involved in prosecutors' offices, having some representation in those offices and how their policies are set and how they operate. He's talked about his idea of restorative justice juries that involve the juries, ordinary people, in the process of sentencing, which again takes power away from one subset of lawyers. It reduces the power of the prosecutors. He, throughout, is focusing on greater involvement of the conscience of the community and of the people at all levels of the system, in the jury, in making decisions, in sentencing, but also in everything that leads up to that, which primarily involves the prosecutor. So it's truly a beautiful book. It's beautifully written. It's a book sensitive to human emotion. It draws on a lot of sources from history to psychology and a lot of common sense. He then has a range of very specific reforms that he recommends. And a lot of them also, I think, make sense. I have two concerns. The narrow concern is the proposal about defendants working. And I believe in the dignity of work. And so I think that it's actually essential to being a full human being to have productive labor to do. So there's a strong appeal to this idea, but there's a point, though, that still troubles me. It's just the resonance with slavery and chain gangs, and Stephanos is aware of that and says it expressly in the book, we're not going to have chain gangs, we're not going to do anything reminiscent of slavery, and there will be wages paid. But nevertheless, in a system that is so racially divided as ours, that disproportionately affects African Americans and other racial minorities, I worry about that. I'm not saying I disagree with the proposal, it just gives me pause. And the broader concerns are one, cost, which again, Stephanos has said he's aware of, but it's a major concern in implementing these things. So for example, as he recognizes, even if we did this in a small number of cases, it would increase costs, but also to do it in a small number of cases, I'm not sure adequately achieves the goals that he set. So most criminal cases are misdemeanors. And even if we got rid of the minor nonsense things, locking people up for urinating in public, the silly things, there's still a massive number of more minor cases where that still mattered to offenders and to victims. And so I'm not sure doing this just in a small number of cases would be widespread enough to achieve the goals he sets for himself. And the second concern, and it's not within the scope of his book, it's not the task he sets for himself, but it's necessary to complete the picture, is the politics. Almost everything Stephanos recommends is terrific. It makes perfect sense. And almost every one of his proposals, I think, would face massive political opposition. Some from some prosecutors, though not all. There's a subset of prosecutors who embrace a philosophy called smart on crime, who I think would be supportive of many of these proposals. But many prosecutors, probably most, and police would be opposed, and they have tremendous weight in legislatures. Even with what reductions are happening in the severity and size of our criminal justice system, now are happening because of concerns about costs, so things that might raise costs. I think are going to be particularly suspect, especially in hard economic times. I am concerned that he has written a book of brilliance and compassion and logic that won't achieve the change it should because politics needs to be addressed. And I'd love to see a follow-up article or position paper or report that would talk about the politics of the situation. In fact, even if there were a group of people, and it weren't just something from Stefanos group of social scientists and legislators and judges and so on that worked on some kind of position paper, how could you make things real? Is there a political way to make these things real? I'd love to see that. So very thoughtful comments. This
1: is Stefanos Bebus again. I don't want to respond point by point. I think the, the key things to take away are, first of all, the public does have these expectations that the way we do justice matters and whether the system is emotionally tone-deaf or sensitive matters. And part of what the book is saying is we've been focusing on increasing quantity. We need to focus on the quality of justice, on making people feel justice has been done. And we haven't done a very good job of that. And that's why voters are frustrated, and that's why the public, which often misunderstands the system, wants to be heard more and have its day in court. I point to various movements that I think suggest this is a promising time. I think there are ways to use community involvement in policing and prosecution to focus in on subsets of people whom we care more about prosecuting and maybe let some other categories of cases go. I find a lot of hope in some of the faith-based initiatives that have private dollars, money, et cetera, coming in to help rehabilitation and reform in prisons. As long as you deal with the Establishment Clause problems, I think those are actually some pretty promising developments. And I think that politically, now that the budget crunches have hit, if you can talk about ways that states can focus their resources, focus the university cases they're addressing, it is hard because the system could use a lot more money, but some of these efforts to have less professionalization and focus in on doing fewer cases better could potentially be sold as a way to really worry about the serious cases and make people feel justice is done there and find alternative ways of dealing with some of the other ones. So. The bottom line is we've turned over criminal justice too much to the elites, to the efficiency experts, to the agents, but we've forgotten that there are real human beings there who are the ones who are supposed to be served by the system and trying to have this conversation about what we could learn from our history, what we could learn about that ideal of the jury and the community sitting in judgment and the morality play is, is At bottom, as I say, a lot of professors and a lot of lawyers are Weberian, they're bureaucrats at heart, and this is an effort to channel the framers and Tocqueville and thinking about how we could govern ourselves and, and see justice done as something a little bit more like a morality play. The ideal may be hard. it certainly, our broken system is not going to change anytime
2: soon, but it's still an ideal worth striving for. I think the only thing I'd add is a comment from the perspective of the bureaucrats, and that is Some of the things that Stephanos talks about do happen in the current system sort of accidentally. So there are moments when, in the guilty plea process, a defendant makes a powerful and sincere statement. There are moments when victims insist on being Mm -hmm. heard and get really, really do get heard. There are moments when a jury is involved in sentencing as well as in the trial. And for me, as a prosecutor, when these happened, these were powerful. These were very satisfying moments for me. These were moments when I felt like justice is really being done here. And I'm not just a bureaucrat, and I don't want to insult bureaucrats in all aspects. My wife is a bureaucrat in a different area of law and is great at it and does a lot of good for the people she serves. But the criminal justice system is different. It's not the place for the bureaucratic attitude. And I think that some people who might be opposed to these sorts of things, if they experience more of what it's like, would be more willing to be open-minded. And I also think it would mean it might affect hiring practices. You know, who are you going to hire as prosecutors? Do you want to hire control freaks and want the power that comes with the current position? Or do you want people are more concerned with the human beings at issue, as many prosecutors are. But hiring and training practices would really matter, and they'd need to be changed. And for prosecutors, for judges throughout the system, but if we could pull this off, I think it would be a terrifically satisfying experience.
0: Thank you for listening to this faculty book podcast. For more podcasts, as well as audio and video of past Federalist Society events, please visit our website at www federalistsociety.org forward slash multimedia.